This is Film Tank. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. We're going to make film history. Can you say that again? Just the way you say it. Baby, it's time to lose their head. They won't know what they're looking at, but why they like it, but they'll know they want it. Again, everyone, and welcome in to episode 230 of Film Tank. As per usual, Alex Diekman here with you, along with my buddy Nick Cheney. What time do you go to the dentist? What? 230. <laughs> I, I missed something there. What time do you go to the dentist? Two thirty. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> wow. That was okay. Well, we've reached a new level, so that's good. You know what? We should always be striving. <laughs> Nick waited two hundred and twenty-nine episodes to say that. Oh my god! I'm like, it's been killing me. I'm retiring after tonight. Ah, <laughs> oh boy. Also, uh, the the voice you hear laughing in the background is Anna Bodazadu. Hello. Thank you so much for welcoming me back. Third time's the charm in a row. I was gonna say. I mean, you're you're more than just like an every now again. Yeah, like three episodes in a row is pretty much regular. It's pretty much a marathon. So, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me. I don't me I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> it's a good thing. Okay. It's better than Britney runs a marathon, that's for sure. Okay. I've never being my old man that I am, I have no idea what that is. Oh, it's just, it's a movie with Rebel Wilson, and she's the main character who trains for a marathon, and it's just a uh, movie like what you think it, it it's going to be, so. Yeah, that, that sounds, that, that sounds oh, terrible. Oh, Peg movie, Run, Fat Boy, Run. Wait, it's either, it's either Rebel Wilson or, uh... No, I think it's the other Jillian, one. Yeah. It's Jillian, Jillian Bell, Bell, sorry. Yeah. Jillian Bell from Workaholic. It's the other one? <laughs> Shit, I'm uh, sorry. I didn't mean to confuse those two actresses for each other. She's the one from 22 Jump Street? Yeah. Yes. Okay. okay. All right. We're uh, on this episode, we are going to talk about the Steven Soderbergh film Behind the Candelabra. Film that was released in 2013 on HBO did not get a theatrical release. 
and um, was written by Richard Lagrevenis. Does that sound right? Uh, Let me see. Yeah, that's not a usual, uh, not a usual. uh, Yeah, you said it right. Yeah, not a usual Soderbergh uh, guy, but he was the writer from The Fisher King. So that's an interesting credit. Uh, I know. A movie we reviewed earlier this year. Kind of, you know what? I will say it really quick. Uh, I kind of see it with some of the dreamlike touches to this movie. Anyway, hmm, very good. So again, the Behind the Candelabra film uh, did not get a theatrical release, which we'll hit on at some point uh, later on in this episode. But this surrounds the chronicle of the. Uh, the chronicle of the six-year romance between megastar singer Libero. He's not a singer. What? Come on, baby. I mean, megastar said words during music. <laughs> the megastar piano player Liberace and his young lover Scott Thorson. Come on, I am to be. That's not even factual. Ugh. <sighs> what are you gonna do? Ah, uh, yes. Also, probably should be noted that uh, when Liberace met Scott Thorson, uh, Scott Thorson was 18, and Matt Damon, uh, when this movie came out, was 43. So, a little different, but that's okay. Age doesn't matter. It's only a number for men. Okay, so... <laughs> Uh, the role of Liberace in this film is played by Michael Douglas, and the role of Scott Thorson, uh, ever mentioned, was played by Matt Damon. A lot of other people show up throughout this film, including Scott Bakula and Debbie Reynolds and Cheyenne Jackson and Tom Papa and Dad Aykroyd and Rob Lowe and David Keckner and Nikki Cat. So... A lot of people coming and going throughout this film, and you even get an, uh, an appearance from Mike O'Malley, who I always remember from Nickelodeon. So there you go. Alex, you forgot to mention your favorite actor, Boyd Holbrook. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Boyd Holbrook. He is not good. The fact that like Boyd Holbrook is almost like... A, I know it technically comes after Matt Damon, but... If you think of more of him as like a successor to Cheyenne Jackson, that's about right. <laughs> just as far as like Cheyenne Jackson's a good actor. No, I'm not saying that, yeah. but I'm just saying that kind of baby-faced white guy, whatever. Yeah. Uh, yep. I mean, he's been in a lot of crappy roles. Um, I feel like the only thing I've seen him in that I was like, oh, that wasn't bad, Logan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also, too, uh, Mad About You's Paul Reiser is in this. So that's great. That's a lawyer. Always a pleasure <laughs> to see him, I think. Yeah, it's hard to find him. He's not out there, really. So, But he was here. He was here. And then, sure, I don't want to say shortly, but like he's in Stranger Things for quite some t- quite a bit, I think. So. Yeah, he's kind of... I, mean, he's, I don't know how often he was there, but decades. he was there. So. Yeah. So. Good for him. Yeah. So, um, I guess I'll go first, since I will say I'm probably the driving force behind this film on this episode. 
I am a huge fan of Behind the Candelabra. Um, I've I talked about this film quite a bit on our top 10 of the 2010s episode is it was one of my favorite films of the last decade. And it's weird because this is right. This came out right around when I started hanging out with Nick and Dusan. You know, I was just getting into watching more movies. Uh, Not that I, haven't been a film viewer for a long time, but uh, I wasn't watching the same amount of movies that I am now uh, back in before, you know, I went to Aurora university and met these guys and started the podcast and all that good stuff. So this is right around when I started stepping outside my usual zone a little bit. Uh, but I had known about this project because this has been in development for quite some time and it went through all kinds of different names, including Robin Williams as Liberace and um, Michael Douglas. And then he got throat cancer and then the project was on hold again. And then it was back on with him. And, and we all know um, he let everybody know why he got throat cancer, but I don't know. He let everybody knows why he thinks he got throat cancer. Oh, well, he gave an excuse, but that doesn't necessarily prove any. It's it's kind of like it's kind of like Liberace say or they them um, them saying that Liberace died from a watermelon diet. It's like, uh, I don't know about that. Like, yes, you ate watermelon once in your life, at least. But that is not a trajectory. Yeah, that that. Something's not adding up here. He's, you know, he's spitting out seeds. <laughs> is that like a? Is that like a? Like, what? Is that, is that a? So like, how are you picturing that? Like, is he doing it angrily? Is he really savoring the watermelon? <laughs> uh, angrily, I, I, I'm a. I don't know why I'm. <laughs> I don't know what I'm I'm imagining the angry boyfriend from the mask when he puts the mask on and he shoots bullets out of his mouth like a Tommy gun. That's how I'm imagining spinning out the seats. I'll let you on a little secret. Usually when I say I'm picturing something, I'm never actually picturing it. I just like <laughs> people to picture it. Gotcha. Thanks for cluing us into that. Uh, <laughs> uh, so um, I picked up on this. Um, I'm a huge fan of Las Vegas and its history. Uh, so I was interested in this anyways. And then being myself getting a little more into film at the time, uh, I was looking forward to this. And I remember it came out Memorial Day weekend. Uh, myself and Emily had just went on a trip to Las Vegas. Uh, we got back the day after this premiered. I had it recorded. We watched it that night. Um, and I've loved this ever since I've seen it for the first time. And I've, I've watched this movie more than any other movie I've watched over the last seven years. So I'm a huge fan of this. I, I don't think this is a perfect movie. I think it has some flaws. It has some unusual choices it has some pacing issues 
uh, at times. But overall, this is a glorious movie that is just fun and depressing and um, eye-opening and just entertaining. And, and it just hits on a lot of different places in terms of emotions for me watching this. I think the performances here is in many Soderbergh films are all so good. The script, the blocking, the directing, the acting are all so good. I can't imagine anyone other than Michael Douglas playing Liberace. Like, I, I think his performance, and again, maybe it's just because I've watched this movie an unfortunate amount of times, his performance as Liberace is, like, I, I can't see anyone else attempting to play that person. Like it is ingrained in my mind that, you know, him just Scott, Scott, I don't know. Just some about it. Like Michael Douglas's delivery and his look and the glitter in his hair and his horrible attitude and his obsession with, overtaking people's lives and having them become basically his live-in somewhat sexual servant uh, and then discarding them when they get a little bit older and finding someone new and having his whole organization set up in this way where they can bring in and send out people like a factory is super disgusting. Um, but also too, very much eye-opening for how a lot of this probably happened in this era of these powerful entertainers or celebrities um, just having no public knowledge over what is being done or what uh, is transpiring outside of their performance arena. Um, and, you know, it got as far as the obnoxious story that Dan Oakroyd puts out about him having a high watermelon diet causing his death, which obviously was completely ludicrous. Um, so at the end of the day, I have a lot more thoughts and there are so many parts of this movie that are great. Um, Rob Lowe is so awesome in this movie. His facial movements with the plastic surgery face he has, his line deliveries are so awesome and great. Um, and so is everyone else. This is a home run movie for me. And I, love almost every minute of it and it's um fun but also awful at the same time so um i'll pass it on to whoever wants to go next and look forward to talking more about it um i'll go next uh so um <laughs> okay um so just a little bit of background um I'm a person who religiously watches uh, award shows. So um, I love the Oscars. I love the Golden Globes, Grammys, um, Emmys, you name it. The year that this film was nominated is when it like swept the Golden Globes. I think the what I found on IMDb is that this won like eleven Golden Globes. Like it was such a huge hit. And so, Michael, hmm? I'm gonna stop you because it won. It won two. Okay, but it was nominated for a lot. 
Well, since it was a made-for-TV movie, it really was only nominated for the categories it could be in, but it pretty much won everything it could have won. So I, I wasn't going to let you step too much into that. But yes, it um, because of its only being a made-for-TV movie and its classification, which is really weird, um, because it really wasn't allowed to be a theatrical film. Um, yes, but... So, yes, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to step on you. just wanted to throw that out there. No, no, no. I'm glad that you corrected me because clearly I did not understand what I was reading. Um, but I remember it being a, a very talked about uh, film at the time. And uh, Michael Douglas won for his performance, which I know is correct. Um, so that was my only frame of reference of this film up until there was one day where I uh, went to record an episode of Film Tank and Alex was like, would you like to watch Behind the Candelabra after we record this episode? And I said, sure, I've never seen it. The sheer joy that Alex expressed at every comedic moment in this movie is something I'll never forget. Like, it was so funny and it helped that Alex was laughing at every joke because he loved this movie so much and he was talking about how much he loved it and he was so happy when he got the movie on um, on DVD or Blu-ray for uh, a gift one year. It was just so funny. And I really enjoyed the first time that I um, watched this film uh, with the Film Tank guys. Um, upon rewatch, um, it was very cool to give this another round. Um, I was trying to really give a closer look the second time around. Um, and I know it's super bizarre, just like Alex mentioned earlier, that Matt Damon was 43, essentially playing an 18-year-old. Could they have cast somebody else? Yeah. But the scenes of Scott and Liberace arguing with each other are hysterical. They absolutely end me. I love all the little details in the film. I like how uh, Scott is a pretty static character up until um, he gets um, coaxed into getting... uh, plastic surgery and then essentially addicted to um prescription drugs as a result um i like how um the foreshadowing comes up in this film um how scott is told he's essentially temporary and then he becomes very possessive over his position even though it was something he was skeptical about skeptical about at first um, and I really, really liked Michael Douglas's portrayal as Liberace. I thought he was really good and super funny and hit all the right notes, literally and figuratively. Um, and it was cool to see this story, uh, you know, this, I don't want to say true tale, but based on a book that Scott Thorson wrote about his relationship with Liberace. Um, and it was it was super duper cool to see on scene to see on screen. And I'm really, really happy that Soderbergh directed it because I feel like any other director wouldn't have been able to quite capture the type of um energy that was being brought out. Um 
So I liked this film. I definitely liked watching it a second time around. So um, yeah, those are my opening thoughts. Yeah. Uh, is there an echo in here? Because I like this movie too. <laughs> um, I obviously, as I've said before, huge Soderbergh fan. So this is uh, another stellar little gem from him. Um, it's definitely kind of in his wheelhouse because he kind of loves these uh, almost sprawling mosaic looks uh, at... Uh, interconnected lives, whether it's either on a smaller scale like this, when it's an interpersonal drama, or obviously on a bigger scale like the war on drugs and traffic. But they all have a similar, uh, almost um, almost uh, uncomfortably human uh, look at how people relate to each other uh, as they kind of navigate through their lives and the way their conflicts come uh come up to a head against each other and I think this is a fantastic example in his uh, filmography of him doing that obviously the performances are fantastic I think Matt Damon and uh, Michael Douglas not carry the movie in that the movie itself is not good without them but this they certainly elevate this into something that is much more than it seems I think at first because the more I watch it which now I've at least watched it a three or four times or so, um, the more I start to really get invested in the relationship between the two. I mean, I remember the first couple times I watched it, um, I certainly loved the movie, but also was like, oh, what a, um, you know, tragedy and whatnot, which it definitely is, but, uh, the more I rewatch it, the more I'm invested in the dynamic between the two and how there was at least a fleeting chance of happiness for the two of them. Not necessarily from the get-go, because I do know, obviously, uh, Liberace, as portrayed in this movie, uh, was a predatory person. But, obviously, as we see in the movie, it it was technically born from a sense of longing and uh, desire for connection that was beyond what he was experiencing on a day-to-day basis with his fans and, obviously, with the public, considering his closeted... Uh, identity and um, you know the Scott Thurston comes uh, barreling into his life and um, that kind of changed everything for him because I do think there's at least some acknowledgement that even though they went through the same cycle that he always goes through that there was something different about him and obviously I think the bedside conversation at the end is certainly indicative of that um, and it's just a, it's a beautiful relationship drama, even if it's not a relationship you root for. Um, so, uh, my, yeah, my opening thoughts are that I think it's fantastic. I think it runs the gamut of being hilarious to being sad to being, at times, if not romantic necessarily, at least lived in when it comes to dramatic uh, portrayals of a you know romantic relationship in and of itself. But uh, yeah, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think we all enjoy this movie, which is obviously good because I really like this movie. Um, you know, Nick, you you mentioned um, Scott Thorson coming into Liberace's life, and I guess since that's kind of the start of the film, I want to hit on that because the first opening 
view we get from this film is that very interesting music kind of pop 70s music that we get in the background uh, with the old HBO logo, which I love. That's a very Tarantino thing to do. Um, And it's done very well here as we open the film. Uh, And then we go to this bar where Scott Bakula um, sees Scott Thorson uh, across the bar. We see him walking across all the way around the bar to go talk to him and introduce himself. Um, And at the time, uh, as the audience, at least on a first time viewing, you have no idea necessarily who that is. But that is uh, a predator scout who is out looking for fresh young people for Liberace. And it is really uncomfortable because Scott Bakula's character is such a nice, welcoming gentleman in this movie who we see numerous times who both delivers and then cleans up the garbage later on in the movie. Uh, And it's so unfortunate because uh, it feels very authentic because this idea of this um, nice guy that everyone would trust and, you know, has kind of a vibe of somebody that you can really want to be friends with. And really he's just a smarmy yeah, literally, yeah. Uh, and yet he's he's just this soulless person who's just out looking for new young people uh, for a rich person to prey on, which is uh, really fucked up. You almost get the sense that Liberace essentially tried it with him, and he was smarter than that, but then kind of turned it around maybe and was like, but I'll, you know, facilitate it for you. Um one thing I do want to say, when I say that, um, you know, Scott Thorson, uh, you know, barreled into his life, obviously I'm, you know, everything you're saying is 100% true, and so I don't necessarily mean to suggest that it was happenstance or anything like that, but what was different was this time around, Liberace, I don't think, expected the person that uh, Scott Bakula's character brought home that night, so to speak, and that's kind of what wreaked havoc in both of their lives. Oh, no, I, I wasn't trying to put down what you were saying. No, yeah. Uh, I was just, yeah, I was just getting at that. But yeah. Um, this, yeah that's... Th- this this whole operation that Liberace had set up, um, at least in this film's view, is just really, you know, and, and the more I've thought about it, the more that I'm sure that, and I, I don't want to say specific people because I don't want to, I mean, we're not a big podcast. I don't want to put that out there, but. I'm sure a lot of people, gay or straight from this era, had similar things happening. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite moments of this whole film is uh, in the beginning scene, like you had set up Nick and um, Scott Bakula and Matt Damon go to Liberace's performance and Matt Damon goes... I can't believe all these people just love that, love this gay guy playing piano. And Scott Bakula's like, oh, they don't know he's gay. And it's just, it's just so telling because being out was still not socially acceptable at the time. But at the same time, how can you deny the flamboyance of this man, even though he's putting on a show? I still 
read the authenticity because obviously as the audience, we're seeing him wear the same clothes and behave in the same way on stage as he does off stage. And it's just, it's just so funny to me. Well, um, I will, I will say that, I mean, they hit on it at a few points in this movie, actually, but he had been aggressively against the idea that he was gay in the public view, likely mostly because it was safety blanket for them the straight public who don't want to acknowledge it you know as long as he puts it out there then oh okay we can eat this out Mm -hmm. oh yeah um, that was that was a huge thing he did not want he did not want that to be his public um his public identity for sure but yes i mean he is flamboyantly going out and flaunting this idea of wearing all of these diamonds and opals and capes and riding around in cars and playing the piano. I mean, I'm not saying that pianists are gay. That sounds terrible. But at the same time, he's giving this... cars. (laughs) Yep. That's what I went with. I was, I was trying to build my argument, and that's where I ended up. Riding around in cars and being a pianist. Is this the that's great. War film, Riding in the Cars with Boys? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. The drop. Thanks, buddy. Uh, anyways, yes. Other than riding cars and playing the piano, he was doing other things that were quite flamboyant and at the same time was uh, very much letting the public know that he was straight um, and you know as the film shows and his history show that that was not the case which obviously is fine uh, but at the time uh, was not what he wanted to have as his public persona yeah um, one thing I <laughs> want to mention <laughs> um I do want to give a lot of props to Michael Douglas because I feel like, especially upon first viewing, it's very easy to gravitate towards his performance for being over the top uh, in a good way and the way uh, his vocal cadence and some of his affectations just kind of scream at least an impression of Liberace. But there's also a really good, sad performance happening uh, underneath that facade uh, throughout the entire movie. And by the time we see him literally drop it, uh, like in that bedside uh, conversation with no wig and whatnot, and we just see a literal shell of a man, um, he just absolutely nails it. And But I think throughout, he very perfectly plays up this almost annoyance uh, that can feel very familial, uh, familiar to anyone who's been in a relationship uh, as he tries to navigate through these uh, mostly typical conversations that couples have all the time. I mean, they might be slightly exaggerated because of his stature or his, uh, you know, place in life and whatnot but you know their uh, bedside talk of uh about why won't uh what do you call it why won't matt damon bottom like <laughs> that's that's a that's one for the playbook right there like that's 
just one person in a couple asking why the other person won't necessarily meet them halfway. And while both sides are valid, it kind of does paint a picture of loneliness that's very stark because he's very accepting of an illusion almost at every turn. And that's obviously why he grows tired of it by the very end. Um... The other scenes where they have disagreements, I think, are really interesting because as the film progresses, um, Matt Damon brings up uh, points that I think are very valid. One of them being um, the, you know, the sex part of it. Um, Another part being when Matt Damon talks to Michael Douglas after Liberace performs a show And Matt Damon's like, come on, I want to go out. Like, come on, let's just go out. I want to, like, talk to people and, um, like, just hang out with other people, basically. And it, I think that's the the argument that kind of sets the precedent for all of the other arguments that they have moving forward. And Michael Douglas is like, what are you talking about? I take you out all the time. What's so bad about that? And Matt Damon's like, what? I want to see other people. And uh, Michael Douglas totally takes that the wrong way and flips it back on Matt Damon and says, what do you mean? Am I not good enough for you? Like, I had Charo here the other day and you liked her. Do you want me to bring (laughs) her over again? And one, first of all, that's a perfectly valid thing for Matt Damon to to suggest is let's socialize with other people rather than just me being in your home and being a part of your show day in and day out and then two michael like liberace was really taking the gaslighting and turning it up to 11 every fucking opportunity that he could it was outstanding how often he was doing that And he was really good at it. So he probably had the same conversations over and over again with all of his previous boy toys, which is essentially what was happening. So um, all of those scenes, like, enthralled me the most, I think. And, like, even when they were in the bubble bath together and when they were in the hot tub together... um, it was a sense of, at first, it was a sense of, like, apprehension for Matt Damon because, one, of course, um, that's when the relationship pretty much, you know, began. And then as uh, the film moves forward and they have those conversations like that, it it gets nothing but hostile. Like, when you're having, when you're in a setting like that with your partner, it should at least be relaxing. It should at least be, like, you know, a chance to wind down those interactions hardly ever became that. Um, It was either them ending up bickering, and they usually started with um, Liberace projecting his dreams and his fantasies and his desires of what he wanted to be when he was younger and all the things that he loved and how um, he's so happy to be where he is right now and how happy Scott makes him. So just basically, like, subtly like love bombing him in a way um to pretty much keep him staying so the that dynamic as as it changes even so that that was the probably some of the most interesting parts of this film for me yeah there's a lot of power plays that happen throughout this film and power dynamics that are really uncomfortable 
um, as Liberace is continuously showing his strength and upper hand to Scott uh, through different avenues. And it is um, tough to watch because and it is hard to say totally because this is a slanted story that this was taken from, from Scott Thorson's point of view. Um, but at the same time as a, as a viewer is just watching this for entertainment value and watching it not necessarily as a total biopic, but as a story, um, it feels unfortunately authentic. Uh, but you know, it's, it's this, this breaking of a prostitute type mentality of bringing them in and giving them all these things, uh, right off the bat. I do love that opening uh, part that you were just referencing, Anna, when they're in the hot tub as he's on the phone with him right before he says, oh, no, don't mail me the medicine. Also, too, I, I unfortunately don't know how deep this hole goes. And I feel like that there's a real chance that Liberace just acquired a blind dog just to bring him and show him that to have him a reason to come back. At any rate, that's that's me being a, a terrible person. But anyways, I, I think that's a fair like just just really quick. I think that's a fair assumption to make. But at the same time, do we see that specific dog again? I don't think yeah, so. That's, that's yeah, the thing. That, that, that's and the point. So <laughs> they um, are. Or they're not. They are. I was because oh, cool. my dog had glaucoma, so I was weirdly looking for that the next time a dog showed up. And uh, let, well, let me uh, give a round of applause to the continuity uh, person on this set. Um, cool. That's one. Yeah, I was gonna say um, one thing as to what Alex is saying about how you know it's it's from the perspective of only one person so obviously in a sense it's bias for sure on the other hand i think one of the reasons why the movie is so good is when you watch it he's not necessarily um slanted to the point where he lets himself off in any measure i mean by the end of the movie before you know he gets sober like he's pretty much portraying himself as the reason why they imploded. Now, I'm not saying that he didn't have a, uh, a you know, a good reason as to why, obviously, he was in an inhabitable living situation or anything like that, but um, he makes his own fair share of mistakes all along the way, and then he even affords uh, Lee, uh, so to speak, his own shred of dignity by the end, and I feel like Basically, what's great about the movie is that it portrays an abusive, toxic relationship as something that is way more than the sum of its parts, you know. Like, call it what it is, because it, it is these things, but it's it's many things at once, and that's kind of the ultimate tragedy, and also why people get sucked into something like this. Well put, Nick. I, uh, I appreciate everything you just said, because I couldn't have said it better. Um, I was mentioning that, that Matt Damon being in the hot tub at the beginning and that cut from uh, the scene with them on the phone and that is oh, such a good that cut what's that? Great. I said that cut is great 
Oh yeah, I, I promise you'll you'll go home right after the first show and then just straight to the hot tub. That's that's pretty much perfection right there. Um, there's another scene in the hot tub later that I actually think is also equally as good, uh, and that is right after Scott. I think it, either the first time or at least the first time we see him doing cocaine. Uh, and then he is joining Liberace in the hot tub, clearly paranoid and high. And Liberace, I think, is very clear about what's going on. And he decides this is the moment to tell him that he's going to start finding other men uh, while they're still in a relationship. Um, and that's just another moment through this that is uh, unfortunately telling about what Liberace was, at least in this uh, story, because um, he plays this weirdly sympathetic figure to everyone in his life. Um, but like he is 100% just a super predator uh, throughout every part of his life. Um, and his, again, as I mentioned earlier, set up this really not elaborate, but pretty, pretty strong organization of people to just put on this show for people who come and go, um, always playing people against them. Um, like, I feel like there's no doubt that before him and Rob Lowe's character had the discussion about uh, what they're going to do with his uh, plastic surgery that he mentioned, I want you to do some with Scott. Play it off like I'm just bringing it up for the first time. Um, and it's, it's really uncomfortable. That seems great. I mean... I know it was in the trailer for this movie, so it took away from it a little bit. But just the idea of him bringing over the painting, being like, I want you to make him look like this. Um, and he puts a picture of himself out there. That is that is the biggest conceited piece of shit thing anyone could ever do. I really want you to make him look like this. Like, that's a person. Like, you are saying you want that person to look like you like that is some shit you'd see on criminal minds. Like it is creepy and weird and yeah. Then he gets coerced into going along with it from Scott Bakula. So that's fucked up. It is. It's super fucked up. Um, one of the moments that I really liked uh, in this film. And I think that's, of course it's meant to, to show a shift in tone, especially in Scott's character, is when Scott is swimming in the pool and uh, Liberace's, one of Liberace's assistants, like, brings out, like, a really nice plate of food. And <laughs> and then Scott goes, well, did you bring my fresca? And then the assistant is like, you know how many were here before you? He's just going to get rid of you as soon as he finds someone else. And then... Scott blows up at Liberace and is like, nobody respects me around here. Everybody looks down on me. Um, it's, of course, he has like a poor emotional reaction to that. And I think part of it is that he was totally like in denial, obviously. He was totally in denial that um, he could get replaced at any moment. Um, and then I think afterward is when the consultation consultation scene occurs and i agree with you alex that's a really great scene i think any scene with roblo is outstanding um in this film and um it just ended up you know you can totally just get off these at any time they're totally not addictive you look great by the way <laughs> yes see 
and it's just I think um, maybe in the it, from based on how I read it in the back of Scott's head what if he was like well if I go along with this I'll probably be around here longer than I initially thought I was going to be and so that elongates my relationship with Liberace therefore that makes him happy which makes me happy um so essentially he sucked in further into this predatory relationship and you see it you know loud and clear when Scott asks um Rob Lowe um can I get a dimple on my chin and Rob Lowe's <laughs> like well Liberace doesn't have one and Scott's like well I really want one do you think that'll make him mad like bitch Get the dimple. Like, you're not paying for this. Like, <laughs> yeah, Roblo's face when he says that, just that, nah, uh, look, uh, that's awesome. I mean, Roblo's in this movie for like three minutes and he is great. He's he so is, good. He, he got a, I mean, I know it's for um, best supporting performance in a television or uh, made for TV movie, but he got a Golden Globe nomination for a two minute, 47 second performance. That's really impressive. Yeah. Um, he's awesome wow. in this. He's very good in it. Um, but yeah, so the, the, that's the thing. There are so many moments like in this film that like show you the degree of acceleration that occurs throughout this relationship. And before you know it, like you guys were talking about Cheyenne Jackson earlier, which I always forget that's his name because he does not look like a Cheyenne. But I mean, you know, there are the stranger things. Um Cheyenne Jackson, Jackson, his character actually does play the piano. Like he was doing something on stage. Whereas when Matt Damon essentially replaces him, um, Matt Damon just drives the stage like this ornate uh, car onto the stage as part of introducing Liberace. So it's not like he even has a talent to replace. He also works uh, at the souvenir shop for whatever reason. So that's yes. kind of weird. Yeah. What? Like, what a fucking pop-out <laughs> for him. That that was probably terrible. Um, yeah, and it, that's the thing, is that he didn't even offer technically anything to the table except, like, his veterinarian skills behind the scenes. So, I mean, not that that doesn't matter, but in terms, in terms of, like, specifically the Liberace performance, Matt Damon didn't really bring anything more um, as far as, like that angle of it well, well you're on it everything with cheyenne jackson's uh character his name is billy leatherwood everything yes. with him is everything with him is great uh mm -hmm. whether it's his first scene on stage where he's just got that shitting grin waving to the crowd uh we see him between shows when we see scott's first meeting with Liberace, uh and he's just eating and not paying attention to what's going on because he doesn't give a shit uh, and people that talk to him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we spend almost, not that whole scene, but the kind of last 30 to 40 seconds of that scene, watching that conversation while being focused on his facial expressions. And they are all fantastic. <laughs> like when they say, oh, why don't you come over? We can do that. That's fine. He's like, yeah, that's fine. He's like, I need my beauty rest. And he's just kind of like laughing to himself. And he, for me at least, has the line of the film uh, a couple minutes later when he's eating in between shows with his full costume on. And Lee says, you better not get a ketchup stain and walk out on my stage. And he just replies, look, anyone would give a shit. Uh, <laughs> just 
that attitude is so awesome, uh, especially telling that straight to Liberace, where clearly he is done playing this game with him. Um, that's that's great. I know Nick really likes um, it's a small part, but uh, when we the last time we see him when he um, enters the room when uh, Scott is at Liberace's house for the first time. Yeah, he, um, when Scott's in like the living room or the guest whatever and talking to Liberace, it just cuts to uh, basically it cuts to a shot of the foyer, but only you can only see a fraction of it because you can really just see the walls and then the door frame. And as uh, Cheyenne Jackson's character scoffs through, basically, uh, it's both hilarious as a little tiny micro bit of acting, but it's also mirrored later on in the film because uh, later on in the movie, uh, Scott Thorson will also, the shot is repeated, and Scott Thorson will cut across that same exact threshold when uh, Liberace is entertaining Boyd Holbrook's character. Yeah. Uh, also, too, there is uh, that really pretty good exchange between uh, Matt Damon and Paul Reiser uh, at the end of the legal proceedings towards the end of the film um, when uh, Matt Damon tells him that he called Billy Letterwood and he said he got more. Um, <laughs> that's great. I mean, that is that's literally what these relationships are, are people comparing their settlements and severances to the previous members of the Liberace gang. And that's really fucked up. <laughs> um, I want to say I totally did not realize this either time I watched the film, except when I was reading about it um, after I watched it a second time. Totally didn't gang. notice. Uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't know that. You're right. Um <laughs> So I totally didn't notice that Debbie Reynolds Debbie Reynolds plays Liberace's mom. She's also great. Yes, she's also really, really good. I liked the scene where she was playing uh, the slot machine. And, of course, this is when they emphasize that um, there are financial troubles looming um, because we see shots of Scott, like, going through his jewelry case and pawning things off. Um especially, you know, to buy drugs is that's what it was. Um, and Debbie Reynolds is like, well, I'll take a check if you don't have the money that I just won on this slot machine in your house. <laughs> on the Liberace uh, slot machine in Liberace's house. Yes, yeah. that is. That's great. That scene's also good because she just kind of casually says that uh, Liberace was born with a uh, twin uh, that was um, and who um stillborn or whatever yeah uh and she just totally casually throws that in the conversation which is uh kind of odd yeah that that relationship too um between Liberace's mother and himself clearly had some issues while he was growing up uh and then obviously has the issues without in the film uh and then we have the very odd uh scene right after the funeral when he's saying that he's free from his mother and that's when he goes out uh and has the night 
on the town going to the sex shop, which is really creepy. Uh, and yeah, it's very odd. Uh, and then I also like too later on in the film when he scoffed, uh, Liberace scoffs at the idea that he would have sex with anybody in the um, house where his mother died. I thought that was really unusual. <laughs> yes. And then we see um, Matt Damon just explode into like a very stoned rage, accusing him of sleeping with other people, which of course is, wasn't an accusation because it was true at that point. So, Yeah. Also too, uh, another aspect of this film that is great that happens in the last third of this movie is Matt really Matt Damon's relationship with Nikki Katz character who plays the drug dealer who, um, shows up to Liberace. He's also seems to have people who have access who do not seem to be good people. So it's very interesting to see that. But um, the first time we get Nikki Katz showing up, and and there's a guy who's a really good performer who just doesn't do a lot of work that I've seen at least in the last ten to fifteen years. But shows up, glorious mustache, wearing a cowboy hat, never takes his sunglasses off, uh, and just delivers this really slow, great stoned performance in this movie. Um, I love his commentary when Matt Damon is saying he's not going to call Liberace after he's found out that he's been cheating on him with Gary. He's like, well, then I guess if someone's going to call him, it won't be you. Um, (laughs) That's great. And his reactions throughout the entirety. And again, he's got a really small part in this film. But he is just playing that stoner, big Lebowski type role to a T here, and it's great. It's uh, it's a good reprise from uh, he randomly appeared in Soderbergh's The Limey back in the '90s, and kind of randomly appears in a very similar capacity. So I almost feel like there's a chance that he's playing like the spirit of the same character from there to here. <laughs> I could, I mean, I could see that. I mean, that seems like some Soderbergh would totally do. Yeah. Hmm? Like, I need a drug dealer. You played one, so just do what you did ten years ago. <laughs> <sighs> Good stuff. Well, I mean, there's numerous more uh, things that I could talk about. Does anybody else have anything they want to uh, hit on before we uh, move on? Yeah. Yo, good. Here and say, um, uh, ironically, and I know obviously they share a lead character, uh, but one facet of this movie that reminds me of another Soderbergh movie is um, Scott's relationships with his not necessarily foster parents, but I mean, is that like an aunt and uncle or I can't remember. There. They're his foster parents. They're his foster parents. Okay. Um, yeah, because he was he was eighteen when he technically like met Liberace, so he was still living with them. That makes sense. Okay. So, um, but that relationship reminds me a lot of like not the same kind of thing, but of uh, in the informant Mark Whitaker's almost treatment of his own parents, which is this kind of out of sight, out of mind. Um, what I love is in this movie when. Um, when Rose passes away and he gets that calm, that very depressing, I think, moment in the entire movie. There's a movie that has quite a fair share of them, 
but that one seems like one of the most like darkest just because it's so innocent um because here's a real life tragedy uh basically cutting away a human connection that would do scott good uh at the in the prime of his life but short change because of the choices he's making and obviously he doesn't really snap back completely by any means but he has certainly a moment on the phone there but also the people that play those those two um the foster parents play it so well that you kind of understand why scott grew up with a decent childhood because they're just so full of love and compassion that they really don't care what he does so long as he's safe and that's all they you know have in mind as far as their best interest for him and it's just a really sweet moment um i even like when uh earlier in the movie when i think he's first telling them at the dinner table about scott bakula's character and the uh the foster dads and something like oh is he one of those san francisco fellows as you know the euphemism for gay men um, but Scott's like, no, he's from uh, wherever. <laughs> and West Hollywood. Funny. Yeah, and it's funny because he doesn't even seem like he asks that in a homophobic way, just kind of like he's genuinely trying to connect with Scott. Um, but unfortunately, Scott's kind of outgrown that because it's never really been something that's been given to him unconditionally. Obviously it has from his foster parents, but it came with a caveat that he couldn't get it from his own natural parents. So therefore, the, if, if it's lesser than, then he can accept it from anywhere, if it, you know, and that kind of what leads him down his road with Liberace. Yeah, which is weird because, I mean, not weird, but um, unfortunately telling because and maybe that was part of the profile that Liberace was looking for is people of this ilk who could be easily coerced into this kind of, and I, I'm, I'm totally with you, Nick, on this. I, yeah, well, I mean, just when he like walks, uh, Liberace walks him into his living room and asks him about his life. And he like allows him like 20 seconds to talk about himself before he's like, oh, what a story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know it, it, yeah but um you know he he does fit the profile i will say something too and i, I don't mean to move away from what you're talking about nick but um some of you were going off earlier i, I was really thinking about and is, is really true but the idea that even though it definitely does show everything this film does i think in in a light that uh does portray Scott is not a perfect person. I think that is very much shown in this film, which is good when you know that the material came from his side of the story. But I think this film does show that he did, even though it was a toxic relationship and he, you hit on this a couple times, Nick, but he did actually want this to work out and he wanted to be Liberace's, son or lover or whatever. Um, and I do love that moment when he's on the phone with Rose, um, his foster mother. Um, and he's, you know, telling her about this obviously very bizarre arrangement where he's going to be adopted, which is even weirder with Matt Damon being 43. Um, <laughs> and she's like, I don't understand why another, 
adult man would want to adopt an adult man. Um, and his his line delivery of him saying, well, so we can be a family um, is kind of heartbreaking to me and really feels very genuine because I think he very much believes that. And I don't think he's necessarily wrong either. Um, even if it's kind of fucked up. Yeah. And it's a two way street as far as like, he's saying that to literally the people who probably have wanted nothing but to be that for him. So uh, yeah, that's very uncomfortable. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I think both of you guys bring up a great point, which is what I was thinking about earlier, but I forgot to say it. Um, I had that suspicion as well, where um, Liberace more than likely preyed on young men who did come from troubled backgrounds. Um, And that's the type of easy target predators go for that's like a very common thing for them and of course Scott Bakula's character would have no way of knowing that just by laying eyes on um Matt Damon's character one time um he just fit the profile of like a young attractive man in a gay bar um but then I think it kind of sealed the deal with Liberace when Matt Damon was telling him about his upbringing and how rough it was um something I noticed that I really, really, really liked about this film. And it kind of, I'm glad that I watched it um, again, because then it just made me notice all these details way more. I didn't like that Matt Damon was so much older than the character he was portraying. However, I think the makeup and hair on every character in this film, specifically um scott thorson liberace and the plastic surgeon i think all of the makeup on them was just outstanding like it was so good um they pretty much got rid of every line on matt damon's face when um liberace went for his plastic surgery that made a huge difference too and i kind of liked the somewhat cartoonish exaggeration that we see with Rob Lowe's character um, and the way his makeup was done too. Um, I just thought that was super cool. I mean, like, and I think it he went the extra mile too because there was a scene where after um, Liberace tells Scott Thorson like he needs to drop a few pounds, like you see when he's swimming and he's just basically wearing... Um, a speedo that it looked like he had been exercising. And if you didn't know any better, you would think that was just like a, a 20 year old guy, like just hanging around a pool. So um, granted it doesn't completely suspend disbelief, but I think that the production value behind that was really, really cool for this film. Yeah. There, there is something to be said too, about trying to hit the target with uh, (laughs) 1970s plastic surgery because oh boy it, oh, absolutely. It, didn't, it didn't look too hot so you can make someone look like that uh, if you really want it and uh, they, they did a pretty good job in this film. I, I agree I think there's also uh, something I always think about and you, you just mentioned it Anna but there's a pretty solid difference between Liberace in the first 20 to 30 minutes and then after the plastic surgery uh like his face does look different and 
Um, I, I think that they did a really great job with that of showing the differences between him going in, having the procedure, and what he looks like on the other end. Also, too, the way that they – I think they molded both Matt Damon and Michael Douglas's faces to have them actually use a mold of their face – uh, when they are doing the plastic surgery on their fake heads to make it look that much more authentic, which I thought did look like them uh, when the surgery is being done, uh, which was really odd and pretty awesome. I thought so too. Even though I hated those scenes, I can't I can't stomach things like that. I thought it was really well done too. <laughs> Yeah, how they um, integrated, especially in the Matt Damon part of it, they integrated him hammering into his nose into the soundtrack was really <laughs> awkward. <laughs> Ugh, yeah, big yikes. And, like, it's it's just so funny to me because I think the shots after Matt Damon gets plastic surgery, of course they emphasize it because the the they want the audience to really see how much of a change that Scott Thorson went through. <laughs> Scott Thorson pretty much looked like Pinocchio, especially when he is wearing um, the makeup for when he goes on stage and also is working in the gift shop. Gave me strong Pinocchio vibes. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, he's got this like weird scar on his cheek after the surgery, which is kind of weird. Well. What can you do? And, okay, this might just be me, but I noticed that the dimple on his chin was very emphasized in, like, the last shots of the film during the funeral scene. I don't remember the dimple on his chin being super emphasized after the surgery up until that point. I don't know if you guys noticed that. Um, but it was just a detail that, you know, yeah, I, definitely I saw. Yeah, it would make sense that uh, obviously the funeral for his once lover what's clear is the man he was all along yeah yeah I I Man, I, I like almost every scene of this film. I mentioned that I, I don't necessarily, I've had a hard time between saying this is a perfect film and not. So, um, but, but some we haven't hit on um, that, that I definitely want to get to, I think, before we get to final ratings, is the actual performances we see from Liberace, which uh, I think are a lot of fun because we see probably two or three of them where we see actual moments of him interacting with the audience and or performing. Uh, first of all, I know that the, I don't remember the gentleman's name, so that, that's kind of a shitty thing for me to do, but, um, the guy who's like the actual Liberace piano performer who performs in shows or whatever, when people want to have someone who is like Liberace performing his actual songs and piano playing, um, actually plays the piano in all the Liberace scenes and they filmed his body and then put Michael Douglas's head on it to actually make it look like he's playing, which um, actually looks pretty good. I think, I mean, it's not perfect once you think about it, but it's also not like weird Marvel CGI, Robert Downey Jr. Um, that That's not great. It only really 
have go ahead yeah under the spotlight so the fact that there would be kind of the shimmering you know plastic mm -hmm. or whatever it totally obviously is the right environment for that sort of thing yeah i mean and it's not overly done either like it i think it pretty much works um and it doesn't really look that bad uh and then everything with liberace performing on stage when he has a microphone and talking to the audience is like the crappiest laziest 1970s performance crap that uh, i guess passed for entertainment then just these really lazy silly just lame jokes that he's telling and how do you play the piano so well i have very well indeed like what what is he even talking about? And apparently he just did these same lame jokes every night. And the audience, I guess, ate it up because they keep coming. Um, but that was allowed to actually go on stage. No, I mean, his 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 uh, stage performance was absolutely terrible, which uh, makes it great. The idea that he thought he was going to be an actor because and oh man, I know myself and Nick have talked about it numerous times, but the video of him performing uh, with the, the girl looking at him and him telling Scott that he was the first person to ever look into the camera, uh, that's awesome. That is just the biggest lie ever. <laughs> but that's great. Uh, I really liked the scenes with Liberace performing too. I thought they looked really good. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they looked authentic. I mean, I, I don't know, but um, some of the things, whether it's the large mirror hanging over so you can see the orchestra or the fountains in the background, uh, I mean, a lot of those performances, I think, have to be taken from actual photos or accounts of what his performances were um, from that era. And um, I undoubtedly think that they were probably pretty authentic. Um, yeah, for sure. I totally agree. Um, just an aside, I Googled Scott Thorson just really quickly a moment ago. And before he had all that plastic surgery, he was actually very handsome. So, I mean, Liberace basically ruined his appearance. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it's... But what, it, you know, kind of like what Scott Bakula says... What it was he gonna say there? Like I'm not doing it, and then you're fired. Like okay, like he he's he's in at that point. Like he's all in. Like I, you know they they've already had the will discussion, and he already had Carlucci fired. Like he's he's in. Like he's he's in that role. And I mean they don't. You know what? In all honesty, they don't hit on it that much. And it, it likely is because he wanted to play up the idea of him actually wanting to love and be with Liberace, but like he had to be thinking about that. He was in for a big payday at some point, um, being Liberace's, you know, will recipient or his adopted son. Um, so there had to be another side to that coin. Absolutely. Okay. 
anybody else have any other discussion points before we move on to final ratings? Okay. Well, I started us off, so I will go first. I, if you can't tell, absolutely love this movie. Uh, been a little scatterbrained on this episode because there's so many random parts of this movie that I love that I want to hit on, but that's fine. Uh, I do. I, I really like this movie a lot. I love this movie, and I am torn on, uh, and I think someday I might reach the point of giving this a perfect rating. But for now, I will stick with a four and a half out of five for this film. I, I think this is really good work by both Soderbergh, the actors, uh, the people who put all the sets together for this, the people who edited this. Uh, was this a Soderbergh edited film or did he yes. get involved cinematography yep. wise? I, I, I don't know all the particulars. Nick's probably knows I better than I believe so. He really in the last decade was doing it all himself. Like that's the area yeah. he pretty much. Yeah. Uh, a little bit of an oceans connection, but I think this is the last Jerry Weintraub film he uh, produced before he died. Uh-huh. Don't know if that's for sure. Um, but just, there's a lot happening here that gives this film a very certain vibe. Um, and it, it works so well. Uh, this is a very funny film, a very heartbreaking film and a very scary film. Uh, and, um, there's a lot here to like, uh, and this, this nails a lot of, wonderful and awful human emotions and uh it's it's a really fun and interesting film to watch every single time and a movie that i'm sucked into i mean this has uh really been my shawshank for the last decade uh and uh, i enjoy it every time so four and a half out of five for myself for behind the candelabra Um, great. Um, not surprised by that rating at all from Alex. Um, so I give this film three out of five stars. Um, I don't love it, but I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I thought all of the points of humor, um, really hit it on the head for me. Um, I really like, um, autobiographical films or at least films that are based on uh, real life somewhat even though this is slanted as it's being told from the point of view of the person who is still alive um i really liked the performances of michael douglas and matt damon and their scenes together um are probably my favorite um parts of this film um i love the way that you see the dynamic of the relationship changing at first it kind of tilts and then it completely falls over and you see that happening at such an interesting pace and i mostly um credit soderbergh's directing style um i think that he took a story that isn't something that he would normally tackle and manage to really um, drive this one home. So I like that a lot. Um, Not a huge fan of um, the yellowness (laughs) um, that 
appears pretty often in films. Um, however, uh, I can kind of brush that aside. But yeah, three out of three out of five stars for me. I did really enjoy this. Yeah, I am a big fan of this movie. I think it's uh, fantastic. I don't really think there's anything wrong with it necessarily. Um, yeah, and I know you mentioned the yellowness, and it's certainly a choice here with a capital C. Um, but because Soderbergh's doing it, uh, who pretty much pioneered it, so to speak, at least how to do it effectively and memorably, I pretty much give him a pass anytime he puts a color up on his lens. Um, but I definitely think that it's a love it or hate it type thing, so I completely understand. Um, it definitely gives the movie a kind of warm, nostalgic glow that by the time we get to when Scott's spiraling um, with his addiction issues and whatnot, uh, the yellow starts to dissipate a little bit, and then some of the light actually starts to enter the frame in a way that it uh, starts to overpower even the shot um, in very uh, almost dilating ways. It's very uncomfortable, but... Um, yeah, um, I love this movie. I think it's so good. Um, uh, I did double check, and yes, Soderbergh did shoot and edit this under his pseudonyms, uh, Gregory Jacobs and Marianne Anders. Um, so, <laughs> that little rascal. <laughs> We're on to him. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think this is one of his best works. I'm going to give it four out of five. Um and honestly, I would probably give it a higher, but I'm comparing it to other movies he's made that I just love even more. But if more movies were like this movie, uh, we'd have a lot better film output in the world. Here, here. <laughs> Obviously, coming from me is I, I love this movie as well. So, but I'm glad we all we all enjoyed it. That's uh, that's a good thing. <laughs> uh, if you out there have any thoughts uh, behind the candelabra, feel free to send them on to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com or try to find us on Facebook or Twitter at filmtankshow. Right. Coming up on. Are you? Yeah. Actually, though, yeah. Uh, we, we'd love to get to a point where we're interacting with people on a regular basis uh, on social media. So let's get there. <laughs> oh boy um, coming up on our next episode we are planning to have Toussaint back uh, he's been uh, not uh, with us for the last few weeks uh, as he's been busy with some other things but he's planning to be back next week and we're going to be talking about the Gareth Evans film Apostle uh, which came out in 2018 and stars Dan Stevens so that is a very interesting film. I think I'm the only one of us who has seen it up until this point. And I think we will have some things to talk about. So something to look forward to coming up on our next episode. Yeah, do something better than on it because otherwise we're all watching it for nothing. Yeah, well, uh, wouldn't put it past him. Yeah. It's, uh, again, um, it is a film that I don't love, and I'm going to rewatch it again, so we'll see. Uh, but again, there will be plenty to talk about. So looking forward to that coming up on episode 231.
As always, Anna, thank you very much for joining us. You've been a, a trooper being on three straight episodes, which is uh, a tall order for anybody having to deal with all this. So there you go. <laughs> no worries. I am always happy to be here. Thank you so much for asking me to join. Oh, well, wonderful. So from Anna and Nick Cheney, myself, Alex Diekman, thank you very much for joining us here at Film Tank. And we'll be looking forward to talking to you again next time. <laughs>